You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Money Pit is presented by Wagner Sprayers, QuickCrete, and the Angie app. Now, here are Tom and Leslie. Coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And we are so glad to be here with you this weekend and helping you take on the projects that you want to get done around your house. If you've got one in mind, you're in the right place because we're here to lend a hand. Help yourself first, though, by reaching out to us with your questions. And you can do that by going to moneypit.com slash ask or calling us at one 888 Pit. Coming up on today's show, you know, owning a home is a part of the American dream, but a new survey shows many Americans lack the basic knowledge and skills needed to take care of that home. We're going to share tips on the top things you need to know to make sure that doesn't happen to you. And now that we are officially in the dog days of summer, you might find that you're having a hard time maintaining a lush green lawn. But the good news is it's actually okay to let your lawn go a little brown for this month if you know how to protect it. We're going to tell you what you need to know to make it past the brown and back to the green just ahead. And have you guys ever tried to repair an old, worn-out concrete surface by covering it with new concrete, only to find that it did not last? Well, we're going to share a solution that's actually stronger than the concrete it covers. But first, we want to know what you are working on in these last few weekends of summer. you got a little bit of time before Labor Day, and then everything goes to the fall. Leaves, things, all kinds of projects. So whatever you've got working on now, let us give you a hand so you can get it done and actually relax next weekend. What are you working on? Give us a call. Reach out to us with your questions at one eight 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 Money Pit, or for the fastest possible response, go to moneypit.com slash ask. So let's get to it. Leslie, who's first? Heading out to California, Cindy, what is going on? How can we help you? We have downgraded to a smaller home, and we bought this cute little house that has got this beautiful six-burner gas stove, and the people that built the house put the stove right next to a wooden cabinet, and I can't use uh, somebody turn one burner on against the wall, and it caught the cabinet on fire. So I need to find out what I can put against that wall that will either allow me to use the burners on the stove or not be able to use them at all and just have it look pretty. You know, Leslie, so many folks uh, love to have those very large commercial-style stoves today, but there's a lot more to them than you think because you have all of this additional power in terms of the burners, and also you need better venting, right? You can't use a typical vent. And in Cindy's case here, she's got a serious fire risk. So my thought is this. Tell me if you think this makes sense. First of all, I would get in touch with the manufacturer of the stove because there will be a uh, specification for installation that will give you step-by-step exactly what has to be done to make sure the surfaces around 
this uh, this range are, are fire resistant. You know, there are things that um, that we could suggest, but they may or may not work. You know, putting stainless steel, for example, on this side of the cabinet could could help. But then again, it might just heat up and you could burn yourself on it. So I don't want to be able, I don't want to give you any specific advice about how to make the rest of the, the area that surrounds this fireproof, because I know it does exist. The manufacturers of these types of commercial ranges will have them. You really need to kind of take a step back and see how it should have been installed and then decide how you can modify your existing kitchen to make it work. Perry needs some help with a roofing project. Perry, what's going on? I like to know the proper way to put a metal roof on a house. All right, that's a straightforward question there, Perry. So uh, first of all, when it comes to metal roofing, some contractors will try to put it over an old asphalt roof. I generally think that's bad practice. So the first thing would be to strip off the old roof right down to the sheathing. And then assembling the roof would go probably on top of a vapor barrier. So you would probably use uh, ice and water shield at the bottom. And then you would use a heavy tar paper, probably like a 30-pound felt. And then the metal roofing gets attached on top of that. The uh, way it gets attached is going to vary based on the roofing manufacturer. Usually there are different types of either clipping systems or there are fasteners that have like a rubber grommet built into it. This is um, a pretty um, physically difficult job because the sheets are, are big. They're not terribly heavy, but they can act as sails. When the wind catches it, they can you know push you right off the roof. So you've got to be super careful as a do-it-yourself project. You might be better off just hiring a pro that does this all the time because it also gets tricky around the chimneys and around the wall intersections because all that stuff has to be properly flashed. Now, the good news is uh, when you get it done, uh, you're going to have a roof that lasts a lifetime because these roofs literally never wear out. So good luck with that project, and we definitely think metal roofs are a good choice. We've got Emily on the line who's a new homeowner and has some questions about a septic system. Listen, Emily, they are confusing, so what can we answer? My husband and I just bought our first home in March of this year, and it has a septic tank. I've read many things on the Internet for advice to keep our septic system from being clogged. Is there anything that you recommend that's just solid advice to maintain our septic tank and to prevent any clogs? Hey, Emily, congratulations uh, to you and your husband on that brand new house. Now, a septic system isn't all of that complicated in terms of maintenance. It's really uh, what you want to avoid doing that keeps it doing its job. It operates because of the bacteria that generates there. The bacteria is what breaks down the waste. And as long as you sort of protect that bacteriological field, you're not going to have any issues with its performance. In terms of maintenance, generally you want to pump it about every three to five years. That's something that should be done by a professional. Secondly, if there's any switches or pumps, sometimes depending on the layout of your property, uh, you may be lifting that waste from a lower point in the property to a higher point in the property. Those sorts of mechanical systems also need to be uh, inspected. You want to avoid uh, using any types of cleaners or dumping cleaners or bleaches and that sort of things down there because that can kind of wreck that natural bacteria field that's doing that job for you. And lastly, make sure you sort of protect that septic field in terms of don't build stuff on it. Don't put playgrounds on it, patios on it, decks on it, that sort of thing, because you really want to leave it as it was designed, which basically is to collect that waste and let it seep naturally back into the soil. But other than that, it's a pretty straightforward system to use as long as you don't uh, abuse it or wreck it by doing any of those things that I cautioned you against. You should be good to go for a very long time. So again, good luck with that house, and thanks for calling The Money Pit. Did you know that Americans take 20,000 breaths a day and spend an average of 90% of their time indoors? 
That's right. And according to the EPA, the level of indoor air pollutants can be two to five times higher than outdoor air and occasionally more than a 100 times higher. Plus, every spring we get sucked with allergens, too. Well, Air Doctor is an air purifier that filters out dangerous contaminants like pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold. Their Ultra HEPA filter has been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested allergens, including bacteria and viruses. That's impressive. Now, Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. And they're offering a special discount to Money Pit listeners. Just head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to podcast customers, you'll also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer in right now by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-Pro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code MONEYPIT. Hey, are you a fan of our podcast? Well, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and we'll be doing a happy dance. Plus, it helps us keep the show going and growing. Just go to moneypit.com slash review. We've got Larry on the line dealing with an invasive species to the sewer lines. We're talking about tree roots. What is going on over there? This is not roots growing from outside the house underneath. What they're okay. telling me is when they, when they graded the land... Right. Some roots were left underneath, and the roots continued to grow into the sewer line, feeding on the waste. Yeah, that happens. You know, I've had that happen to me. It really depends on the type of waste pipe. Some waste pipes are more susceptible for roots getting in them. Like, for example, if you have a really old house like I do, uh, we have some of our, our lines that went underground before they were replaced were clay pipes. And the clay pipes, the roots could kind of like get right into the joints. But today, if you have like, you know, PVC pipe, it's all glued together. It doesn't really get in there as much. But is that what you're dealing with? Are you getting backups from this? Yeah. And, and what, what they tell me, they think I sent a camera down there and you can actually see the pipes separated. It's like the guy oh. forgot to glue the last piece in. Okay. Then that makes sense. That's how it's getting in there. Yeah. So I got them coming out. They're going to jackhammer the floor, and it's in the middle of the friggin' house. And, you know. You know, there's another way to do that where you don't have to break up the floor. It's, you can, certain companies can do this. It's a liner system. Basically, it's kind of like a long sock, if you think about it. And it's made of fiberglass, and they basically string it through the entire pipe, and then they charge it with water. They pressurize it with water while it hardens, and then it lines the inside of that pipe. You might want to find out if that system is available in your area from your contractors and get a price and compare that to the price of sort of the disruptive uh, operation of having to actually tear it all out. But there's two ways to do that, and very often when you're going through under, when you're going under finished spaces or patios or other sorts of things like that, you use a liner instead of replacing the a cracked pipe. I'm 76, and I've been in the construction business my whole life, and sometimes you have answers to stuff I've never even heard of. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. You know, I spent 20 years as a home inspector, and when you're a home inspector, you get like an intense exposure to everything that goes wrong with the house. I always say we know how they are put together, but more importantly, we know how they they fall apart. And so it's just a it's a pleasure to be able to share that. So thank you for that for that uh, kind word and uh, and good luck with this project. I would look into the options though before you decide to to tear open the floor. Okay. Thank you. We've got Emily standing by who may have used the wrong paint on a deck. I know porch paint, deck paint. Maybe it'll work. What's going on? New deck was installed last year. Had it painted this year. 
with porch paint. We realized it was a wrong paint. How long will that uh, hold on the new deck? Hey, Pat, you know, there's really not much difference between what you would call a porch paint and something you might use on a deck. And as long as that paint is adhering well to those deck boards, it should last typically three, four, five, or even more years, depending on, you know, the conditions on and around your house and whether or not you have a lot of sun and that sort of thing. So I don't think there's anything wrong with having done that. It's just that instead of staining a deck where you would see some some grain come through, you've painted it. Now, if it starts to peel off, at that point, you're going to have to remove all of that paint and then start again. But for now, I think you're perfectly fine leaving it exactly like it is. Well, owning a home is often considered part of the American dream. But despite that aspiration, it turns out that many Americans lack the knowledge of basic skills that are needed to take care of that home. Well, according to a new survey by Lombardo Home, where they asked 25 multiple choice questions related to being a homeowner and scored them on an A through F academic scale. Now, while most respondents did okay on the questions about buying a home, when it came to taking care of that property, they failed miserably. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In fact, for questions about home renovating and maintenance, they answered only three out of seven questions correctly, earning themselves a solid F, which, Leslie, is the reason we have a show, right? <laughs> <laughs> Russ in Wisconsin's on the line has a question about what kind of floor goes over heated concrete. What's going on? Tell us about your project. Is new construction with a heated concrete slab? What flooring can I put on that? And thinking about just painting it for the short term. Russ, there are definitely floors that are designed for uh, heated concrete surfaces, whether that's sub-slab hydronic or whether it's an electric layer of, uh, of heating that's on top of that. There are floor products that are designed for that. So you have to kind of check on a product-by-product basis to determine which one is going to be appropriate because some have more tolerance for heat than others. Um, One that I know will work well is Duravana, which is a stone hybrid product sold by LL Flooring. That can take, you know, any amount of, of floor heat. It's an easy installation. It lays down on top of the concrete. The boards are locked together, and you're pretty much totally good to go. But beyond that, you know, whether it's engineered hardwood or whether it's a vinyl product, you've got to check that the manufacturer's specifications to determine whether or not it is rated for being radiant heat compliant. That's what you're looking for, radiant heat compliant, and that will be the answer to your question. All right, we've got Ashley from Georgia, who's a new homeowner, taking on some projects. What can we help you with? So we just bought our first house. and Congratulations. It- Thank you. Um, It was built in 1970, so there are three rooms that have wood paneling. Um, One isn't an issue, but um, one of the other ones doesn't really have very good ventilation, um, and it's um, meant to be a laundry room, so moisture and ventilation are kind of an issue. And then the other one, the wood paneling, wasn't installed um, particularly well, so... Um, there's some gaps and some water damage and things like that. So we're thinking of replacing it, but we aren't sure exactly the best way to go about it and what the cost would generally be. But also I'm concerned with if there's anything we need to do to prep behind where the drywall would go um, to prevent moisture and bugs and um, other issues down the line. Okay. So let's talk about that laundry room first. Uh, paneling in general, you know, is a sort of a thing of the past. Now, there's two ways that paneling was typically installed. Uh, in both cases, it was nailed, but in 
in, in, in one of those operations, they would glue it as well. And if you glued it, then it becomes a lot harder to tear it out and replace it. Well, I mean, and today most people aren't even replacing it, of course, they're just trying to restore the drywall that's behind it. You mentioned that other room that's got uh, paneling that's got gaps and stuff. Is there any place where you could sort of loosen up that paneling and try to pull it off the wall a little bit? Does it seem to come right off, or do you think it's glued to the wall? Yeah, there are a couple spots in both rooms that you can kind of peel it up. Um, it may okay. be nailed, but possibly with just too far in between. Okay, because if you take the paneling off, you may find that the glue pulls the paper off the drywall. If it's really bad, then you either have to replace the drywall or you can spackle over those sort of torn areas if it's not too terribly bad uh, and then sort of start, start again from there. But I think job number one is getting rid of that. You know, if you have paneling that's really well adhered and it's not really causing any issues, you could paint it. You know, Leslie, we used to give a lot of advice on, on painting paneling. One thing you can't do, which people think you can, is to fill in the grooves with spackle, right, folks? It's never Ask us that <laughs> as well. It never, never works that well. Yeah, so just one clarification. Um, there's actually not drywall behind the paneling. So it's oh. just great insulation and, and joists and, and, really? and dirt and debris. So wow. that's why I kind of want to clean oh. it up because I'm just worried about moisture yeah. getting trapped back there when we do drywall it. Mm. That's unusual. Typically, paneling is on top of a wallboard. Okay, well, in that case, yeah, you got to take it down. Once you expose those walls, you're going to have 1970s insulation in there. I'd probably pull the insulation out since it's right there and it's easy to do. You want to put some new insulation in there. The easiest thing to do would be to pick up some pink fiberglass insulation uh, from Lowe's or Home Depot. There's a new product out by Owens Corning called Pink Next Gen. Uh, it's not itchy. It's really soft and cottony and easy to handle and stays nicely in between the 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 studs of the wall, so you'll re-insulate that. And then you'll put new drywall on. You're going to want to use half-inch drywall. You lay the sheets horizontally, uh, and then you have to tape and spackle the seams. So, you know, kind of advanced DIY here, not not too difficult, but it's going to take you uh, some time to kind of master <laughs> master the job. Uh, in terms of insects and moisture, look, that's just general pest control. If you live in a warmer climate, you typically have more insects than you do in a, in a, in a northern climate. And you, I would imagine you'd probably just get a service contract with a pest management professional who might visit you once a month or so to keep those bugs kind of under check by applying the appropriate uh, insecticides. Um, if you mentioned the laundry room and the moisture issues, if you really want to do something that's moisture resistant, uh, there are types of drywall panels that are basically waterproof and moldproof oh, okay. that you could use. Those are available as well. Very, very heavy compared to the regular drywall and more expensive, but, you know, it's a long-term investment. So that's an option for you, too. Okay, cool. Thank you. Well, you're very welcome. Good luck with the project and reach out to us anytime you have a question. All right, perfect. Thanks so much. Everyone should know that drinking water is important to staying hydrated and healthy. Having safe, clean water is the last thing you want to worry about, but unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants right in its tap water. That's why we are thrilled to be working with AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. It removes 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAs in your water supply. And they have water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. They even have a Wi-Fi-connected purifier and mineral boost options. 
and its proprietary purification technology is independently tested by IAPMO to NSF and ANSI standards to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAs known as forever chemicals, nitrate, and many more. I can truly taste the difference when I compare it with my old water filter. AquaTrue saves you money also. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That's less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you'll save the environment from tons of plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. And today, Money Pit listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to aquatrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter code MONEYPIT at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to aquatrue.com and use promo code M-O-N-E-Y-P-I-T. Money Pit. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, we're heading out to Mike, who's got a super gross problem. What is going on with these flies at your money pit? Tell us about it. I have a fly problem, a house fly problem, uh, with fly poop all over my siding. And power washing alone does not do the trick. Looking for the best solution to pre-spray, let it soak, and then clean off. You know, Mike, this reminds me of another problem that's very similar, and that is the problem of artillery fungus, where you have fungus that comes out of mulch and sticks to the siding, and it seems to be virtually impossible to get off. But I think when it comes to bugs, it's like uh, when they stick to your car. You know, Leslie, when you go to like a Pep Boys and you want to get them off, they have special products for this because it's designed to dissolve the whatever the fly juice is that sticks to your car. And I think the same thing Gross. kind of applies to the house. I know of a product called Super Clean, which you can find at, I believe it's at Walmart and other places like that. It comes in a purple bottle. And it works really well. It's sold basically as a cleaner and degreaser. But for this case, what you would do is you would apply it to the siding, let it sit for five or ten minutes, and then you would have to scrub it. Now, there's going to be a lot of elbow grease here, but I think you'll find that it will release those bugs from the siding, uh, and you'll be back to a clean house once again. I think the key, though, is to not let it get too bad, because otherwise you're going to find yourself doing this a lot more than you should. In terms of managing this population going forward, you might want to talk to a certified pest control management professional, because I know that there are uh, fly traps that can be set in your area that would at least minimize the population and result in fewer flies getting themselves, uh, I guess it's kind of like a suicide run, run against your house and splat, and they stay there, and they stay in the siding. So if you have fewer bugs, you're going to get fewer bugs on the siding. Yucky. Hope we can fix that problem for you because it's gross. (laughs) Well, guys, if you've ever watched your lawn fade from that beautiful sort of luscious green to a wheat field brown during these very hot days, you might feel a bit helpless to stop the destruction. But that brown grass does not automatically mean your lawn is dead. In fact, brown grass 
more likely means your lawn is simply dormant. Yeah, it's funny. And I also feel like some lawn seeds or types of grass like just turn brown this time of year, even though you're watering and doing everything. So you got to do a couple of things, guys. You want to make sure that that summer grass survives. So just cut back on the mowing at this time. I mean, it's really best to keep your grass a little bit longer in the height of summer anyway, because cutting it too much can cause the grass to lose more moisture from those tips that you're cutting. Now, if your lawn is healthy, you can actually allow your grass to go into a semi-dormant state simply by cutting back on watering and then not worrying so much that it won't come back to a greener color in the cooler weather. Now, if your lawn is brown, it is very important, however, that you avoid walking on it. This is where the trouble starts. You want to stick to the well-worn patches or sidewalks instead because brown lawns can come back to life. But if they have been ground into a pulp, then they're not going to come back. So try to stay off. The, the lawns are very fragile when they're brown. If you stay off, then they will sort of regreen themselves as soon as more moisture is available. Now, if you're not facing watering restrictions, you want to water very early in the morning. That's going to give your lawn a chance to dry during the day. And then this is also going to discourage problems with bugs and diseases. And remember, it's best to water heavily a couple of times a week to encourage that deeper root growth rather than light watering every single day. So definitely remember, super saturate every other day. We've got a tip sheet on how to make sure your lawn survives those dog days of summer. It's called Seven Tips for Healthy Lawns and Hot Summers. You'll find it right now on moneypit.com. All right, Beverly in Ohio is fearful of some stuff going on with the foundation and drainage. What is happening at your money pit? Um, you've addressed this many times, but this seems different. Uh, water in the basement. I've already gotten the French Trench discussion with a company, and I know that you guys say that's not necessarily it, and I prefer not to go $10,000. Anyway, um, there's a lot of plantings by my home. It doesn't seem to be grading. Everything's pretty flat, but I'm desperate to know what to do. It's really putting a lot of fear in my soul. Well, Beverly, rest assured that if you improve your outside drainage, I suspect this problem will go away. One way to know is this. If your water problem seems to get worse with heavy rain, this is definitely something that can be controlled by drainage. You say that the outside looks good. You mentioned it's flat. That's not good. Soil has to slope away from the wall. It shouldn't be flat. But more importantly, most of the time, the wet basements are caused by a problem with the gutter system. You either don't have the right size gutters, they're getting overflowing, they're overflowing because they're undersized or they're partially clogged, and something as simple as the downspouts not being directed away from the foundation far enough. You know, when the installers put it in, they usually put them out about two feet (laughs) from the foundation and leave the water right there. So it kind of circles right back into that basement, and that's why the walls get so wet. But I don't think you need a French drain system. That would only be done if you had a rising water table. It doesn't sound like that is the case here. So I would extend those downspouts. And if you want to prove this before you do a lot of work, just get a bunch of long leaders. You know, they're a few dollars each at a home center, and hook them up to the bottom of those downspouts run them out, even though it might look a little sloppy for a while, I think you'll find that you'll have almost an instant reduction in the amount of water getting down there. And once you've convinced yourself that that is the solution, you can neaten them up uh, and run them perhaps underground, bring them out somewhere to daylight, uh, and do a nice job uh, making them a lot more tidy. But uh, drainage, 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 that is the cause of wet basements. So you got to fix it, and that's going to be your solution here, and it won't happen again. All right, now we're going to chat with Jim, who's dealing with a problem with a cracked wall. What's the problem, Jim? Problem with the brick wall behind my uh, my garage. 
um, long back wall with a vertical crack that's six feet long, <clears throat> separating uh, a quarter to three-eighths of an inch. And I need to know how to diagnose it or find out what's really going on behind that, whether to seal it or get a contractor. Well, Jim, if you have a crack that's open three-eighths of an inch, that's a lot on a vertical crack. So we need to know, first of all, whether it's active or not. Active meaning it's still getting bigger, or is it just something that happened and sort of settled down? Why it happened? There could be lots of reasons. There could be debris in the soil that that rotted away that often happens around garages where they leave construction debris that gets buried by soil. Uh, and when it, when it, when it uh, deteriorates, the soil will sort of settle in and cause voids and that causes some movement. Could be a drainage problem. I don't know. We got to know whether it's active or not. If it's not active, then it could be sealed just to keep water out. But if it is active, then you might need a structural repair. Unfortunately, while a lot of contractors will claim to have the expertise to do this, only a structural engineer can really give you the accurate advice that you need, especially when it's something severe. Uh, of, of a severe nature like this now. So I would suggest that you hire a structural engineer to evaluate it, and based on that advice, make the repair or have a contractor make the repair so you know it's done right. Now, here's a project that many people have tried and many people have failed at, and that is to try to repair old, worn-out concrete by covering it with new concrete. Now, if you tried that, you might have found that that new concrete simply doesn't stick, and that's because regular concrete or stucco mix is simply not designed to adhere to old concrete surfaces. Yeah, and that's why QuickCrete created Recap Concrete Resurfacer. Now, with QuickCrete Recap, you can renew old, worn concrete patios, sidewalks, even driveways with a permanent wear-resistant surface at a fraction of the cost to replace them. Yeah, this stuff has a bond to concrete that's actually four times stronger than the concrete itself, and that means that the old concrete will fracture or crack before the bond with QuickCrete Recap separates. And as a result, that new concrete patio, sidewalk, or driveway is going to last a very, very long time. Yeah, and it's also a really DIY-friendly project. You mix, you pour, and you spread that concrete resurfacer over your surface. As long as that surface has been cleaned with a 3,500 PSI pressure washer, you can then easily apply it with a squeegee, a trowel, or a brush. And one 40-pound bag is going to cover approximately 20 square feet, so do the math to figure out exactly how much you need. Yep, you'll find QuickCrete Recap Concrete Resurfacer at home improvement retailers for about $28 per 40-pound bag. I actually used this for another purpose, Leslie. When I did my basement floor, I had poured it in four-foot-by-four-foot sections because I couldn't get a a concrete chute down there from a truck, so I hand-poured it. But what I did when I was all done is I covered the entire floor with recap, and it stuck to the 4 by 4 sections, and now it looks like one continuous slab. So it's got a lot of options. This adherence thing is really critical, though. Once you get it to bond to the concrete, that's really the challenge. And when you can get it to stick like that, there's lots of options for this to be used for repair or for even resurfacing new concrete that isn't quite what you're looking for. Heading to Texas, we've got Lois on the line who's dealing with some previous owner's gift, you know, a smoke-filled home. How can we help you? We just purchased a house, and uh, the previous owners that we uh, that had it before us, of course, um, they evidently smoked. And my husband says it's nicotine. Yeah, it's a rather disgusting habit, and it leaves behind uh, some really disgusting, hard-to-get-rid-of stains and odors. Yes. So first of all, you need to make sure that that that's, that nicotine is going to soak into carpets, by the way, and padding and curtains and all, all that, that sort up. of thing. See, all right. So what you're going to need to do is you're going to need to use a oil-based primer 
on those walls and even on even on the subfloor if you've got like plywood subfloors mm-hmm. that may have been under carpet mm-hmm. i would use an oil-based primer seal all that in this is kind of like when you have smoke damage to a house and they use those you know very durable sealers to kind of seal in all the odors yeah. you're going to have to do that because you're not going to be able to clean this out of it because all those building surfaces are very absorbent yeah. so you need to prime the walls and prime the floors before you put the finished paint on now you can use latex on as a top coat but to start you've got to prime everything if you want to have have a chance of uh eliminating as much of that odor as possible okay and you said an oil-based paint i would prefer you use an oil base because it works a lot better it's just a much better sealer the ceiling is textured what about that do the same thing with the ceiling especially the ceiling because it's rather impossible to clean now because it's textured you're going to use a very thick roller and they have rollers also that are designed for textured ceilings that have slits in them they're like sliced so that the the roller can actually get around all of the popcorn and other types of texture surfaces that you have but you definitely have to prime this you know this is really a big project and you might want to hire a pro to do this because it's a lot of work Janice wrote in and wants to know why she smells exhaust fumes in the air from her vented basement fireplace. She says, I had the basement finished and a beautiful basement fireplace installed. The fireplace is vented to the outside under the composite deck with composite lattice surrounding that lower portion. But the fireplace emits unhealthy exhaust fumes into the basement. Now, Janice goes on to say two contractors are blaming each other for the problem, and they're both wanting to charge her a boatload of money to fix the problem. So what's going on? Ah, I love this kind of dispute. Now, first of all, you have a very dangerous situation here, Janice. You need to stop using the fireplace immediately. And second, I suspect, Leslie, it's not vented properly. And here's why. You know, most gas appliances that are direct vented, that's when the vent goes sort of right outside the exterior wall, they have very strict rules about how close they can be to a window, like a basement window. Plus, they have very strict rules that they cannot be closed in and covered up. Now, remember, Janice says that this was vented underneath her deck, and then there's composite lattice surrounding it. So this entire thing is sort of like sealed in without having access to the proper level of ventilation. In that circumstance, it's very easy for some of those gases to leak back in. So what you need to do is this. You need to get your hands on the venting specifications provided by the fireplace manufacturer. They are going to be very, very specific and see exactly what those specifications say. I suspect they're going to tell you where this can be vented, how it can be vented, how many twists and turns, how many feet you can run with these venting pipes, whether it can be uh, near a deck, how many feet away from things it needs to be. I suspect it just wasn't done correctly. And I would get another contractor to make these corrections. These guys that are blaming each other have no clue what they're doing. Uh, I know you provided me a lot more detail about this, but what I'm reading into this is they do not have your best interest in mind. If you worked with a fireplace company on this, they should be responsible for the expenses associated with it. But no matter what, do not, do not, do not use this fireplace until it's fixed because it is very, very dangerous. All right. Hope that helps you out, Janice, because we want you to enjoy your beautiful new basement and, of course, keep your family safe. All right. Rachel writes in saying, we're remodeling our laundry room, which is also our guest half bath. Is laminate wood flooring safe under a washing machine or is a ceramic tile better? Expense is an issue. 
You know, laminate flooring was a very popular flooring, and I say was because right now we've got much better floorings that are more durable and more tolerant of moist environments like bathrooms and laundry rooms. So I don't think I would use laminate floor in a laundry room or a bathroom, certainly, anymore. I would use luxury vinyl plank, or I would use the stone hybrid products that are 100% waterproof. And the other thing that you might want to do here, Rachel, is on top of that floor, underneath the feet of the washing machine, add anti-vibration blocks. These are like rubber-like blocks that help take the vibration out of the laundry. As it operates, it makes it much, much quieter when you operate. It helps to even out situations like where you have an uneven load as well, or if you have a washing machine that tends to sort of walk, it straightens all that out. So I would use luxury vinyl plank, or I would use hybrid stone plank, and I would use the anti-vibration blocks on this floor. All right, hope that helps you out. Enjoy this new bathroom slash laundry room. I love this addition to the house. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show on air and online on a warm summer weekend. If you guys have questions and you couldn't get through to us today, please remember you can reach out 24-7 at 888-MONEY-PIT or by going to moneypit.com slash ask. For now, that's all the time we have. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.